are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service. Welcome to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for this date, February the 26th, 2024. Support for this reading comes from the Dupaco R.W. Heifer Foundation. I'm Marge. I'm Pat. And here is our very first story. All Kids Belong. Local special education staff members provide wide ranges of services to meet every student's needs. Standing in an Eisenhower Elementary School classroom in Dubuque on a recent afternoon, special education teacher Alain DeCroze placed three picture cards showing a cow, a rabbit, and a house in front of Demetrius Spearman, age nine. Can you tell me what the story was about, what that we read today, she asked. Dimitri sat up straighter in his wheelchair and studied each image carefully before pointing to the house. That's right, said Krauss. It's about where we live. Demetrius and his classmates at Eisenhower are among the 1,730 students enrolled in special education services across Dubuque Community Schools and 61,284 such students in the state of Iowa this school year. It has been nearly 50 years since Congress enacted the major federal legislation that continues to support the rights of students with disabilities. The law was known as the Education for All Handicapped Children Act as it's at its passage in 1975 and later renamed the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA. Since that time, the number of students with identified disabilities nationwide has doubled, climbing from 3.3 million in the 2021-22 school year, according to the National Center for Education Statistics. Other aspects of the special education field have changed in that time, too, including a shift from segregated classrooms to an emphasis on inclusion in the general education population when appropriate. Special education has been in the spotlight in Iowa legislature this year as a result of Governor Kim Reynolds' proposed proposal to restructure the state's area education uh, agencies. The statewide system of AES, implemented in 1974, provides programs and services such as special education for school districts. While local districts and AEA officials are monitoring the proposed legislation, they and educators in other parts of the tri-state area emphasize the importance of special education services and the broad range of students those services impact. Special education is a layer of support for students, and it's a service we want families to utilize because the child is a child first, said Makokota, Iowa, Community School District Superintendent Tara Knotts. You are not a special education student. You're a student, a child. 
that might happen to receive special education services. Identifying needs. Iowa's AEAs provide a variety of services to the state schools, from professional development sessions to media resources, textbooks, and other materials. But the bulk of their work falls under special education. Keystone AEA Director of Special Education, Annette Hyde, said Keystone provides three main types of special education services. Early intervention services for children from birth through age three who have a developmental delay, identification and evaluation of students to determine eligibility for special education, and direct support in specialized areas. Not all students are available for an IEP. IEP covers categories such as autism, deafness, blindness, intellectual disabilities, orthopedic impairments, and traumatic brain injuries. The disability also must affect the child's educational performance or ability to benefit from general education curriculum. Not all students are eligible for an IEP and special education services, but some who do not qualify for <coughs> one may be eligible for a 504 plan, so named because it falls under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. To receive a 504 plan, a child can have any disability that interferes with their capacity to learn in a general education classroom. The 504 plans describe any accommodations such as students might receive, such as additional time to complete tests, while IEPs lay out the goals and services for a child's special education experience. While district staff typically take the lead on developing 504 plans for students. AEA staff are instrumental in the child find process, the identification and evaluation of students eligible for special education and the development of IEPs. Dubuque Community School Executive Director of Special Education, Brenda Duvel, that a staff member or parent can request an evaluation of suspected disability for a child, but the district must have the family's consent to proceed. If the family wants to pursue suspected disability, an assessment plan is written by the AEA team, she said. Those evaluations need to be done within 60 days, and the team comes back together and determines whether a student is eligible for special education services. Western Dubuque Community School District of Special Education, Victory Coyle, said each child is required to have an annual review of their IEP and a reevaluation of the plan every three years. However, at any point, if the child has met their goal and has made a lot of progress, we can always determine as a team to exit services as needed, she said. We would do a 45-day trial in which we will monitor the goal but don't provide the services for it to see how they're doing without us. We might then exit this time 
or we might determine not without our services they aren't as strong as they were before according to iowa department of education data the western dubuque students uh, has 442 students with IEPs this school year, 12.9% of the district's total enrollment. This school year, the Dubuque district's IEPs, out of a total of K-12 through enrollment of 9,653, 17.9% of the entire student population. That number has ticked upward slightly over the past five years. During the 2018-19 school year, the 1,621 Dubuque students with IEPs represent 15.9% of the total student population providing services. Once the child has been identified as requiring services, district staff, including special education teachers and paraprofessionals provide support as outlined in that student's IEP. Typically, AEA staff do not provide direct service for many students in special education programs. The exceptions include specialized services such as speech and language therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, or hearing or vision services. When AEA staff come into district buildings to work directly with students. The AEA provides any additional services that our teachers are not licensed to provide, Coyle said. Those services are delivered both in self-contained classrooms with special education teachers and in general education classroom where students might have the support of a paraprofessional and or a special education teacher might co-teach with a general education teacher. In a concept known as the least restrictive environment, federal special education law dictates that children with IEPs should be with their general education peers to the minimum extent appropriate. We know that students grow so much more when they're around their peers who have strengths in those areas, said Knotts. We don't learn good communication skills unless you're around other children with strengths in communication. I said this represents the shift in understanding over the past 50 years, moving staff students out of the segregated classroom that were the norm when special education program first were introduced in the 1970s. The amount kids that spend a good that kids spend a good portion of their day in the general education environment successfully has grown, and because of that, our academic expectations have continued to increase. She said, "We recognize that with the." Right supports all students can learn a lot. Our goal is to provide students everything they need, but not more than they need, because we want them to be independent. According to federal data, more than two-thirds of children with disabilities spent 80% or more of their school day in general education classrooms 
during the 22-23 school year. Local special education teachers emphasize that while including students with general education peers is a high priority, it should only happen to the extent that is appropriate beneficial and meaningful for the students. If they're not able to make progress on their goals or there's other concerns such as safety, we might have to go more restrictive, Coyle said. Our next article, Areas Mild Winter Causing Industry Nature to Adjust. Start to 2024 is the 11th warmest since 1875, data shows. For James Ribbling, white means green, and when there's no white, Ribbling is blue. Ribbling, the owner of College Lawn Care in Dubuque, has cleared snow for a living for nearly 30 years and hasn't seen anything quite like this year's winter season. The lack of snow and cold temperatures this winter have negatively impacted businesses such as his and caused both humans and nature alike to adapt. I'm speechless, to be honest, Ribbling told the Telegraph Herald on Friday afternoon, at which time the after at which time the temperature in Dubuque was forty seven degrees, thirteen degrees higher than normal. I'm sure everyone is. I spent as much time stockpiling my salt as I did using it. Ribbling, whose business partially relies on snow removal, is among those tri-state area residents who have battled the weather roller coaster of this winter season that has presented both unseasonably warm weather and intense bitterly cold stretches accompanied by record snow accumulation. I can't remember a winter like this, and I can't remember a more intense week than the two one-foot snowstorms in January, Ribbling said. The 36.3 inches of snow Dubuque received this winter has all melted and given way for the new now spring-like conditions that included last week's balmy 62-degree Thursday in Dubuque. Unofficial National Weather Service data shows the start to 2.24 is the 11th warmest since 1875 when such data first was collected. That warming pattern has certainly been happening the last few weeks, whether that is long-term trend that remains to be seen, said David Cousins, a meteorologist with the Weather Service Quad Cities office. The average temperature experienced in Dubuque this far in 2024 is 27.4 degrees. The warmest start to a year happened in 1880 when the first 54 days average temperature was 31 degrees. Current temperatures are caused by the El Nino weather pattern that Cousins and his peers expect to dissipate in the spring and evolve into an L.A. Nina weather pattern, which can bring cooler than normal temperatures to the area. Dakota Freeburger, who owns Freeburger Lawn and Snow Care, LLC, says snow removal makes up about 50% of his business. He typically budgets for unpredictability 
a practice that came in handy this year. He's also looking to the bright side. This warm weather has allowed me to transition into landscaping a little earlier, Freiberger said, adding he has booked out almost two months with landscaping appointments, which is not typical of this time of year. Usually there is a month break where we take time to service equipment and get things ready for the year, but we already had plenty of time for that. Ribbling, who was forced to adapt his winter schedule and assign employees other tasks, such as performing maintenance on rental properties, has also put the cold weather in the rear view. I have pulled the insurance off the snow trucks and am getting ready for spring, he said. Many other local residents joined Ribbling in declaring winter over. Dubuque Center, uh, Dubuque County Conservationist Parks and Recreation Areas were packed Thursday, according to the department's director, Brian Preston. It's great to see people getting out, Preston said. On Thursday, the parking lots were packed. There were a lot of families out with school being out. That's great and will help improve people's physical and mental well-being. That early park usage prompted crews to begin attending to park amenities such uh, much earlier than what is typical. Conservation employees were out and about Friday collecting garbage and attending to restrooms. We don't normally start this early, Preston said, adding the county will stick to its typical April time frame of opening campgrounds. While the expedited, expedited <coughs> warming trend has caused humans to adapt and change their routines, and in many cases find extra time for recreation, the same can be said for many elements of nature. The lack of snow cover bodes well for wildlife populations going forward, Preston said. It's easier to find food when it's not covered by snow, Preston said. More deer, more deer will survive the winter. Other creatures, perhaps those less welcome, are also thriving due to the lack of a deep freeze. We don't have much frozen ground or frost this year, Preston said. The number is 20 degrees below zero to reduce some of those insect populations. If the warm winter continues into the future, Preston said, nature will adapt. With these warm temperatures, the trees are confused as to whether it's spring or not, Preston said. It's a concern if it continues. I think the timing of things is tripping things up. In the fall, you see goldenrod and nectar sources for monarch bird, bird butterflies blooming earlier and earlier. And the monarch migration is typically in mid-September, Preston said. Recent weather patterns throw off the migration, the migrating species, and that is a concern. This year was the smallest marked butterfly overwintering in Mexico. But those animals that don't migrate had an easy winter. They didn't use up their fat reserves and can find food easily. 
Early indicators say the above average temperatures for this year will continue into March and possibly beyond, Cousins said. Prediction models also say those above average temperatures also will be accompanied by above average precipitation. Even looking forward through to May, we are looking at a better sign of above normal temperatures and above normal chances of precipitation through the spring. There's a cold front moving through Friday night, but then warmer weather again into next week, Cousin said. Diversity of regions breweries on display at Dubuque on Ice Brewfest. As Clara Kearney and Jessica Weiser walked around the annual Dubuque on Ice Brewfest on Saturday afternoon, they were nearly spoiled for choice. Their pair of friends and co-workers had been to the annual event before, but they seemed it seemed like there was a near-endless supply of new varieties of beer, wine, and other craft spirits to try from the dozens of surrounding vendors. It's always a really good variety, said Weiser of Dubuque. There's so many different booths to try that if you want to remember a specific order, you almost have to take a picture or write it in the notes on your phone. The pair were two of more than 2,000 people to pour into Dubuque's Grand River Center on Saturday for the 12th annual event. It included more than 60 vendors selling a variety of craft beer, wine, and other beverages. Booths touted local labels such as Dubuque Jubeck New World Brewing or Holy Cross Iowa-based TLC <coughs> Brew Works. Others were from farther afield such as Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Hillsboro, Wisconsin, or the Quad Cities. Kyle Kaiser, production manager at Potosi, Wisconsin Brewing Company, and one of the event's organizers, said the focus of the festival is to highlight the quality and diversity of the region's breweries. Over 40 of our booze are from right here in Iowa, Kaiser said. It's a great state for breweries and for wineries, and this is just one way to show off what options the state has to offer all in one place. More than 1,500 people pre-registered for the event, Kaiser said, and an additional 500 were expected to buy tickets upon arrival. The event was put on with the help of roughly 200 volunteers and proceeds go toward the National Brewery Museum in Potosi, Camped Albrecht Acres in Sherrill, Iowa, and Dubuque-based research for the kids. At the end of the day, we're here to raise money for those local nonprofits, Kaiser Strat. First-time attendees Lynn Smith and Patrick Osborne, both of West Branch, Iowa, near Iowa City, said they were impressed by the variety of local area breweries represented at the festival. Some of the brewery names were familiar, the pair said, but many were first-time finds. Early standouts for the duo included Dubuque-based Seven Hills Brewery Company and Makokita, <coughs> Iowa Brewing. Something like this is nice because if you try something local, 
and really like it, you can drive over and see where it's made while you visit, Osborne said. Molly Fuel, taproom manager at Bellevue, Iowa based River Ridge Brewing, shared in the pair's excitement with the local brewing scene. Fuel and other brewery employees staffed the River Ridge booth at the festival, doling out a variety of the brewery's core brews as well as special releases. Between pours, she also fielded questions about the brews from curious attendees. It's about all about sharing in the love of beer, she said. Around here, breweries are really something that communities rally around, and this is just a fun way to highlight that. Volunteer enjoys connection with wonderful place. Wednesday visitors to a Dubuque Museum can be assured that Bev Lucas will try to make their experience enjoyable. Lucas 69 of Sherrill, Iowa is a volunteer who greets visitors every Wednesday at the National Mississippi River Museum and Aquarium. She does a great job of greeting people. She makes people happy when they get there, said Mrs. Wersinger, the museum's tourism and volunteer manager. It's an important thing, impressive for our visitors. Lucas said her volunteer work on, at the museum is a labor of love. I love the museum, Lucas said. I love my fish back there in the rivers to the seagull gallery. There are, certain, there are certain ones that I check to make sure they're okay. Lucas said she, was, she has been enjoying the museum for decades. She, she remembers visiting the Fred W. Woodward River Wood Museum, which had opened in 1982 in a former Burlington Northern Railroad freight house. The present River Museum campus <coughs> incorporates the freight house. I've been here so many times, she said, Bet Bev and her husband, John Lucas, have been married 48 years. My husband and I are originally from Holy Cross, Lucas said. I went to Leo High School in Holy Cross. Then I went to Clark College and graduated from there. Lucas worked as a medical uh, technologist in Dubuque. I worked at both of the local hospitals and at Medical Associates Clinic, she said. I originally retired nine years ago. Then I went back to work for a couple of years and retired again. Lucas has volunteered at the museum for about eight years. I volunteer regularly on Wednesday mornings, but I also volunteer for extra stuff, she said. Lucas often volunteers at the Matthias Ham Historic Site, another entity operation by the Dubuque County Historical Society. She also volunteers when the museum holds a special summer program. This is fun, she said. I like to make sure people have full experience. They might miss something. If I see the octopus moving, I try to get visitors to look at it. Lucas said it's a joy to work with the museum staff. The employment, the employees here are wonderful to the volunteers, she said. They really appreciate us being here, and it's always nice to be appreciated. 
Lucas said she enjoys chatting with passengers of cruise ships that dock in the port of Dubuque and visit the museum. It's a nice way to meet people, she said. It's fun to talk to people and help them to be around the wonder this wonderful place. I know it so well. When people come in from different states, they're just awed by it. They just think it's so wonderful. Lucas also makes a, also takes care to guide kids through the museum. The little kids are always fascinated when I tell them about the stingrays, she said. The little kids are so fun and to, so fun to watch. Lucas has four grandchildren. My grandchildren have volunteered with me, she said. It's nice for them to see the importance of volunteering. You need to get some of your you need to give some of your time to the community. Worsinger said the museum is grateful for its volunteers. It's great to know that we have some very reliable volunteers that enjoy working in our atmosphere, Worsinger said. News in brief. Best-selling author and sexual assault survivor <coughs> to, to, speak, to speak at Dubuque Fundraiser. A sexual assault survivor and best-selling author is set to deliver the keynote address at an upcoming fundraiser for an area nonprofit. Chanel Miller will speak during Riverview Center's 2024 Evening of Light celebration set for 5 p.m. April 18th at the Grand River Center in Dubuque. Miller previously was known to the world as Emily Doe the sexual assault victim, and the highly publicized case against rapist Brock Allen Turner. Turner assaulted Miller outside a fraternity at Stanford University in 2015 and later was convicted of three felony sexual assault charges for which he received a six-month prison sentence. The proceedings sparked nationwide outrage for the perceived leniency of the sentence and reignited debates and scrutiny around the high rate of sexual assault on U.S. college campuses. In 2019, Miller relinquished her anonymity and released a book called Know My Name, a memoir, to outline the impact of the assault and subsequent legal proceedings had on her life. The book quickly became a bestseller and won several awards. She will further discuss that experience in Dubuque at the upcoming fundraiser for Riverview Center, which provides services for survivors of sexual assault in Iowa and victims of domestic violence in Illinois. The annual fundraiser will also include a cocktail hour, dinner, and silent auction, Tickets can be purchased online at tinyurl.com. You are listening to the Dubuque Telegraph Herald on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. Your reader is Marge and Pat. And if you have any comments on this or any IRIS program, please call 243 6833 or toll free 
at 877-404-4747. And don't forget, this and many other IRIS programs are available through our website at iowaradioreading.org. Now we return to the obituaries and to the Telegraph Herald. Nicholas R. Lucy Nicholas R. Lucy, 84, of Dubuque, passed away on his birthday, February 16, 2024. Visitation will be from 3 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 29th, and from 9.30 to 10.15 a.m. Friday, March 1st, at St. Raphael's Cathedral, Dubuque. Funeral services will be at 10.30 a.m. Friday, March 1st, at the church, with Rev. Dennis Quint officiating. The service will be live-streamed. Full military honors will be accorded by American Legion Post <laughs> 6 of Dubuque the East Dubuque Drum and Bugle Corps, and the United States Navy. Nicholas was born on February 16, 1940, to William Bill and Loretta McHale Lucy, in the mining town of Leadville, Colorado, but grew up in East Dubuque, Illinois, along the Mississippi River. The second oldest of five children, he lost his dad when he was just 14. He graduated from East Dubuque High School in 1957, where he was a multi-sport athlete and played trumpet in the marching band. He enlisted in the U.S. Navy at age 17, serving one year in the Naval Reserves and four years on active duty in the Pacific aboard the submarine USS Medrigal. Upon discharge from the Navy, Nick spent several months hitchhiking in the West and Pacific Northwest, visiting family, making new friends. There, he subsequently became a staff sergeant in the U.S. Air Force in Cheyenne, Wyoming, from 1962 to 63, where he trained in communication. When he returned home, he began a 40-year career as a telephone technician at Northwest Bell where he was a proud union member of CWA Local 7110. He was united in marriage to Linda German Lucy on November 26, 1977, in Des Moines, Iowa. Dick has always been involved in the local community, volunteering and serving a wide variety of organizations, a trait that he passed on to his five children. Some of the organizations Nick was involved with included American Legion Post 6, where he served as commander in 1985, ran their annual oratorical contest, and served on their state legislative committee for years. A bugler since he was one, he marched and played in East Dubuque Drum and Eagle Corps for 69 years, as well as being a member of the American Legion Funeral Detail, a detail for over 50 years, playing taps at thousands of veterans' funerals in his lifetime. Nick's other involvement in Dubuque community included work with the Rescue Mission, Art Musician, Museum, Salvation Army, VFW, Telephone Pioneers, Camera Club, the Dubuque Federation of Labor, and he was a proud, long-standing member of the Dubuque Democratic Party. Nick was survived by his wife of 46 years, children, several children. 
He was preceded in death by his parents, brother, Bill Lucy, sisters, Loretta Lucy, Sandra Vaughn, brother-in-law, Fred Vaughn, and nephew, Dale Crosscan. Nick's family extends a most heartful thank you to everyone for the wonderful support given during this very difficult time. Your kindness and compassion will never be forgotten. Anne Aslan Anne Cookie Aslan of Dubuque passed away peacefully on Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. Visitation will be from 9.15 to 10.15 a.m. Tuesday, February 27th at St. Colin Gills, followed by a mass of Christian burial at 10.30. Entombment will be at Mount Olivet Cemetery. Anne was born January 16, 1936, in Hammond, Indiana, daughter of Arnold and Helen Crane Fisher. She was educated at Catholic at Cathedral High School, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Duquesne College, Omaha, Nebraska. She married John Jack Aslan on February 2, 1957. She was a caring, loving person and a wonderful wife, mother, and grandmother. She also had a very avid influence on many people outside of her family. Cookie was an avid card player and was a longtime member of the service club. She was preceded in death by his son, Daniel Paul Aslan, a step-grandson, John Riddle, four siblings, Roy, Janine, Bill, and Mary. In lieu of flowers, memorial be made to the Anne Cookie Aslan Elaine M. Rapp. Elaine M. Rapp, 97, of Dubuque, entered peacefully into eternal life on Friday, February 23, 2024, at home. Mass of Christian burial will be held at 11 a.m. on Monday, February 26, at the Cathedral of St. Raphael with, Saint, with Father Dennis Quint officiating. Friends and family may visit from 9 a.m. until the start of Mass. Burial will be at Mount Carmel Cemetery, at Mount Calvary Cemetery, excuse me. She was born April 29, 1926, in Peru uh, uh, Township, Dubuque County, the daughter of Charles and Alma Steckline Ruff. Her ancestors were early settlers in the Sherrill area. She grew up in the north end of Dubuque, where her German Catholic background shaped her character and personality. Elaine attended Sacred Heart School and Immaculate Conception Academy. She ice skated, roller skated, played basketball, and, and went fishing and hunting. Before her marriage, she worked at a greenhouse, the H.B. Clover Company and the General Dry Battery Factory. She married Robert C. Rapp in 1945 at Sacred Heart Church. Except for a year, few years in Keeler and Rockdale, the couple resided in Butte to raise a family. Elaine later worked at the Stamford's Dinette until it closed, and then at St. Dominic Villa until her retirement. She bowled in a league for several years, and she daily prayed the rosary for her family. She got a driver's license at age 60 and drove until age 92. Elaine's profound love and concern for her children, family, and friends showed itself in numberless ways. Although her warm and comforting hands are no longer so, the memories she left are. No words can, can truly thank her for everything she did for her to raise her family. She's survived by her children, Richard, Janice, Robert, Marvin, Geraldine, Harold, Dirks, Karen, Kenneth, Yvonne, Michael, and Peggy, Buttes, Daniel, Joseph, and 30 grandchildren, 50 great-grandchildren. 
her sisters Wilma and her brethren-laws Gerald uh, Fudge and Elmer Engling. She is preceded in death by her husband Robert, her sons Russell and Ronald, and two infant sons. She would ask that you remember her in your prayers. Eileen Leland, 89, of Dubuque, died on February February 23rd. Visitation will be held from 10 to 11 a.m. on Saturday, March 9th at St. Luke's United Methodist Church, where a memorial service will follow. Funeral services, Thomas L. Byrne, Cascade. Prayer service, 1.30 p.m. today. Sister Norma Evans, Dubuque. Visitation, 9 to 9.30 Tuesday, February 27th, Mary Frances Clark Chapel, Mount Carmel Bluffs, sharing of memories at 9.30 a.m., followed by Mass of Christian Burial, Constance J. Funk, Manchester, Iowa, visitation 2 to 6 p.m. today at the Leonard Miller Funeral Home, and from 1 to 1.45 Monday, February 26th, at St. Mary's Catholic Church, Manchester. Henry Goldstein Dubuque Visitation 10 to 1 p.m. Tuesday, February 27th, Englehart Seagert Casper Funeral Home, 1 p.m. at the Funeral Home, and service at 11 a.m. Saturday, March 9th, at the First Baptist Church. Mary Sue McAllister, Bankston, Iowa, prayer service today at 1.30, Visitation 2 to 8 p.m. today, and 8.30 a.m. on Monday, February 26th. Leon J. Mullins, Visitation, 3 to 8 p.m. Monday, February 26th, and from 9 to 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, February 27th. Patricia A. Nauman, Dubuque, Mass of Christian Burial, today at 10.30 a.m. Douglas Wade, Ryan, Iowa, Visitation, 2 to 6 p.m. today, at Bohenkamp Murdoch Funeral Home, Manchester. Edmund J. Waylou Dubuque, Visitation 2 to 6 p.m. today. Egelhoff Siegert and Casper Funeral Home, Wake Service 6 p.m. today at the Funeral Home. Mass to Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. Monday, February 26th, Holy Ghost Catholic Church. Robert Wiskell, Robert Ritzko, 90, of debut, passed away peacefully Monday, February 19, 2024, surrounded by his loving family. To honor Wayne's wishes, a private family service has been held. Eglow Sigurd Hatcher Funeral Home and Crematory is entrusted with arrangements. Wayne was born on March 13, 1932, to Robert Coster Wisco and Roberta Harvey Wisco in Hazel Green, Wisconsin, in the family farmhouse where his mother was was also born. Wayne graduated from Rosiclair High School in Rosiclair, Illinois, in 1951, then continued his education in Plantville, Wisconsin. Before enlisting in the Army in 1952, Wayne was stationed in Alaska and narrowly missed deployment during the Korean War. In 1944, he was honorably discharged from the Army and returned to his Midwest roots where he met his future wife and life partner, Alberta Witterhold. <coughs> 
Wayne and Alberta married May 2, 1956 and remained together until her passing on December 2, 2014. Wayne had many interests in life but loved the outdoors immensely. He was an avid fisherman and competed in countless bass tournaments. He loved hunting. Wayne was very adventurous, maybe even a little bit wild, and those experiences provided him with endless stories to tell. When Wayne wasn't out and about, he enjoyed playing cards, especially cribbage, euchre, and buck. He was a challenging opponent. Albert and Wayne had seven children, Chad, Angela, Carl, Kathy, Cass, Shannon, Julie, Kip, Amy, and Jeff, and was blessed with 17 loving grandchildren and 11 great-grandchildren. He's preceded in death by his parents, his wife, and his oldest son, Chad and many extended family members. In lieu of flowers, contributing contribution can be sent to the Egelhoff, Sigurd, and Casper Funeral Home and will be donated by the family and at a later date. Kenneth J. Hill Kenneth J. Hill, 74, of Dyersville, Iowa, passed away peacefully at 7.15 p.m. on Wednesday, February 24, at home surrounded by family. Friends and family may visit from 2 p.m. to 7 p.m. on Wednesday, February 28th at Kramer Funeral Home in Dyersville. Visitation will continue at Kramer Funeral Home from 9 to 10. A Mass of Christian Burial will be held at 10.30 a.m. Thursday, February 29th, at Boniface Catholic Church in Uvienna, Iowa, with Father Gabriel Mensa officiating. Ken was born on August 29, 1949, in Uroville, Iowa, to Donald and Ardella De Hell on August 10, 1968. Ken walked across the dance floor in Uvienna and asked a young strawberry blonde girl, Rita taught to dance and changed their lives forever. On August 19, 72, they were married in Holy Trinity Catholic Church in Luxembourg, Iowa. From this union, three precious children were born and a wonderful, fulfilling life was had. Grant graduated from Beckman Catholic High School in Dyersville and then attended Loris College. He worked at Hub's repair shop, John Deere and finally fulfilled his true vocation farming on the home farm in Dyersville. Ken always said that he found God in those fields. Ken was known to be able to prepare, modify, or invent ways to keep everything running on the farm. He felt fortunate that his son also acquired the love of farming, and he was able to be a part of it until his passing. Ken's greatest love was his family always attending their events and encouraging their efforts. Ken was a member of St. Boniface Catholic Church, Tri-County Sportsman, and past director of New Vienna Mutual Insurance. Ken loved to fish, especially enjoying fishing trips to Chetka with good friends. He also loved to play solo with friends and riding his Polaris side-by-side side around the uh, farm. He was preceded in death by his parents, siblings, Diane Helms and Bob Hell, parents-in-law, Ambrose and Anna Maytock, brother-in-law, Ronald Myers, nephew, Kevin Talk, and great-nephew, 
Griffin talk. The family would like to take thank Father, Father Chris Podoski of the Spires of Faith Cluster, Dr. Cynthia Collins, M.D., and the staff of Grand River Medical Group, the staff of Hospice of Dubuque, and especially Ken's Care Nurse Carrie, and all our family and friends for all your support and prayers. You have all made this process bearable. Ellen J. Hendricks. Ellen J. Hendricks, 83, of Dubuque, died Wednesday, February 21st. 2024 at the Unity Point Health Finley Hospital in Dubuque. Visitation will be from 5 5 p.m. until 7 p.m. on Monday at Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home. The funeral service for Ellen will be at 10.30 on Tuesday, February 27th at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church with Pastor Jason Davis officiating. Burial will be in Asbury Cemetery. Ellen was born March 16, 1940, in Austin, Minnesota, the son of Harry Albert and Adeline Julianne Thompson Henricks. He married his dear wife, Burl Hilberg, on, De- on September 29, 1962, in Seasbury, South Dakota. Ellen began his career at Harding Drug Company where he held various positions over 44 years, including pharmacist, store manager, and COO. He found his true purpose helping others. He loved music, tapping his feet to 50s, rock and roll, and closing his eyes to sheer appreciation of many musical genres. He read books and articles and held an interest in archaeology and genealogy. Ellen was generous and devoted father, sharing his wisdom, advice, strength, carpentry skills, and anything else his children needed. Being a grandpa was one of his greatest joys in life, and he held a special place in his heart for his loyal dog, Muffin. Ellen's gentle spirit and beautiful smile blessed the lives of all who knew and loved him. Survivors include his wife, Beryl, and his four children. He was preceded in death by his parents and twin sister, Jean Bodler, and sister-in-law, Merrill. The family would like to thank Dr. Morris and, in- and Ringgold, Grand River Medical Center, and Unity Point Health Finley for their loving care. A photo tribute can be viewed and condolescent sent to the family by visiting Ellen's obituary at www.haskercares.com. Phyllis K. Driscoll. Phyllis K. Philly Driscoll, 69, of Epworth, Iowa, passed away Friday, February 23rd. A visitation for immediate family <coughs> will be held at Rife Funeral Home in Epworth, Iowa. Phyllis was born on March 31, 1954, in Dubuque, Iowa daughter of Charles and Patricia Plumley Driscoll. Most of her childhood was spent in the family farm in Epworth. She graduated from Western Dubuque High School in 1972 and went straight into the workforce, taking her first job at Kmart. There she made friendships that brought her happiness throughout her early life. In July of 1976, she packed a bag and her passport and it headed off on the venture of a lifetime to Brazil. 
There she visited with a family friend, Ellie, who had stayed with her family as a foreign exchange student in high school. Philip was a woman of many talents. If you were stopped in for a visit, you were greeted with, Oh, well, how the hell are you? Followed by a warm hug. Cooking was her passion, a skill that was passed down from her mother. There was always a seat at her table for everyone, even her dogs. After her mom passed, Phyllis became the family hub, making sure to check in with everyone, all while keeping up with sending cards and holidays and birthdays. She is preceded in death by her parents, one son-in-law, Robert Charles Delaney, and one great-nephew, Jeffrey Joseph Delaney. It isn't what we leave behind, it's what we leave in people's hearts that count. Karen A. Stunt Karen Ann Stant, 80, of Dubuque, died Wednesday, February 21st, 2024, at Dubuque Specialty Care in Dubuque. Visitation will be from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Saturday at the First Presbyterian Church. The funeral service for Karen will be 10 a.m. Saturday, March 2nd, at First Presbyterian Church, with Rev. Stephanie Ellis officiating. Burial will be held in Lincolnwood Cemetery in Dubuque. Karen was born July 29, 1943, in Dubuque, Iowa, the daughter of Lester and Helen Frickhan. On November 4, 1972, she married Billy Lewis Stant in Dubuque. He passed away September 23, 2022. She graduated from Wallard High School and went on to attend business school. Karen served as general manager at Spencer Gifts until she decided to prioritize raising her children. After raising her children, she went back to work as general manager at Casey's on Peru Road. She was a member of the First Presbyterian Church, finding joy in her role as a choir member. Her creative spirit shone through various aspects of her life. Her survivor through two sons, Paul Tony Fiedler Stant and Mark Debbie Stant, both of Dubuque, and three grandsons and many other relatives. Besides her husband, she was preceded in death by her parents, one brother, Jerry Hahn, and sister-in-law, Kay Hahn. In lieu of flowers, a memorial has been established for the First Presbyterian Church in Dubuque. Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory is in care of the arrangements. Condolence could be sent to the family by visiting Karen's obituary at www.haskacares.com. Mary Kent Pearson, Cincinnati, Wisconsin. Sister Mary Kent Pearson, O.P., died February 19, 2024, at St. Dominic Hills, Hazel Green, Wisconsin. Her wake and funeral mass will be held Wednesday, February 28, at 10 a.m. at St. Joseph Church, Hazel Green. Interment will follow the mass at St. Clara's Cemetery, Cincinnati, Wisconsin, Miller Funeral Home, East Dubuque, Illinois, is handling arrangements. 
Sister Mary Kent was born April 22, 1934, to Kenneth and Dorothy Davis Pearson in Pontiac, Illinois. She professed vows with the Dominican sisters at Cincinnati in 1954. Sister Mary Kent's ministry was dedicated to teaching, administration, religious education, and pastoral ministry. In Iowa, Sister Mary Kent served as assistant administrator at St. Dominic Villa Dubuque as associate pastor, pastoral minister, and coordinator of religious education at St. John Baptist Church, Piasta, and as pastoral minister at Holy Family, Parish Piasta. In Wisconsin, she was principal at St. John Vianney School, Janesville, at St. Dennis School, Madison, and at St. Jerome School in Columbus. She taught at Sacred Heart School, Reedsburg, and served at the Mother House in Sanawa as director of property, as director of housekeeping. Sister Mary Kent was preceded in death by her parents and brothers, David, Ronald, and Duane. She is survived by her Dominican sisters. Memorials may be made to the Dominican sisters of Cincinnati, Wisconsin, or online at www.cincinnati.org. donate This brings us to the end of today's reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for this date, February 26, 2024. I'm your reader, Marge. I'm Pat. And support for this reading comes from the Dupaco R.W. Heffer Foundation. The Telegraph Herald can be heard each weekday at 2 p.m. All programs heard on IRIS are intended solely for the blind and French handicapped. If you have any questions or comments on this or any IRIS program, please call our office toll-free at 877 404 4747 and thanks for listening.